Hey guys, this is Bruce. Welcome to Combo Courses. And I wanted to talk to you guys today about GRC. I had a really good question that I think um, a lot of people have this question. So that's why I think it's just a really good question. And the question is, what is GRC and what are the tasks that you do in GRC? And to give you an explanation of this, I thought the best way for me to do this is to actually just tell you exactly what I do. Um, tell you different jobs I've had so you can get an idea of what it is and um, and actually the tasks that I do. Um, before I start, if you are interested in learning more about this and following along, uh, if you missed this live or whatever, that's fine. You can find me on com on uh, Combo Courses on YouTube, combocourses.com, link in description, link in bio. Um, this is not where I stop. This is where this is where it begins for you if you're interested in getting into GRC. And let's get into this. So first of all, what is GRC? So G GRC is a, is a blanket term and it just, it stands for governance, risk and compliance. So governance, meaning like, how do we manage the information as it comes into our organization? How do we manage uh, what we do with our systems? How do we manage the whole organization? Risk being once we have our systems out there, what is the risk to our organization? If we get hacked, if there's something that happens, a natural disaster uh, with our uh, risk, with our clients, risk, with our information, risk, risks with our with our systems. What is our what is the impact to us if something goes wrong? Compliance, meaning are we in line with banking standards? If we're a bank, if we're a financial institution, are there things that we need to fit, uh, fit into uh, so that we don't get have any violations? If we're in the if we're in the healthcare sector, are we in line with HIPAA? That's compliance. Are we compliant with HIPAA? If we're in the government, government, are we in line with uh, FISMA, which is a federal standard, a federal law? So that is GRC. The governance is managing and maintaining the information systems and in our organization as a whole. Risk is making sure that we control the risk to our organization as far as our data being out there and our services and all that kind of stuff. And compliance is making sure we're in line with the laws. Um, now, let me tell you specifically what that means. I'm going to tell you this by explaining what my jobs, I'm going to, I'm going to give you three different examples. Uh, so one, one job I had was very technical as an information system security officer where I was helping the organization do GRC. It was very hands-on, very technical. I'm going to tell you about that job and what I did. Another one was not hands-on. It was just purely documentation. I'm going to tell you all the tasks I did with that one. And I'm going to tell you one that I have now, which is kind of a combination of the two. So let me start off with the one where I was very, very technical. So that very, very technical position I had, I was working with the Army. And uh, we had this specialized classified system that we had to, we're standing it up from scratch. It was a old Unix system that we had to make, bring into a Linux environment. So we had to take all of the processes and functionality from this old antiquated system that was on its way out and put that onto a Linux system. So what my task was as an information system security officer was to make sure, was sit down with the system administrator and make sure that all the control features were on that system. So we literally took a system, like a test system, to figure out whether or not the data could still run on that box once we put the security features on there. So we actually started from a blank system, like a Windows system, and we just turned it on and then start applying all the security features that the Army wanted to put on there. So the Army has this huge list of all of these security features. And actually they're not alone, the Air Force, Army, DOD, Department of Defense, and the whole federal government has this whole long list of controls that you have to meet. And it's now, right now it's called the NIST 800-53. And there's this, all these controls you gotta put on there. And the, the way that you can implement those is what we would use is called STIGs or a Security Technical Implementation Guide. And we would just go down that list and apply each one of those controls. And so, it would be things like passwords. We've got to make sure that the passwords are not only enabled on there, but it has, um, you know, 14 character password, it has, um, you know, uh, upper and lower case numbers, all that kind of stuff had to be on there. So we actually implemented that on there. And then we had to make sure that it had backups in there. We had to make sure that, so we had to go through this whole system. Then we had to do firewalls, same thing. I was sitting with them to actually put the firewall implement, not only 
apply the patches on the firewall, not only put the rules on the firewall, but actually help them to purchase the firewall. So I had to do research. I had to sit down with the system engineers, the security team, the uh, the actual uh, people who would be operating the firewall and figure out how can we put this on the system? How what first of all, what system are we allowed to get um, in the with the army? So I was sitting in with those meetings. So tasks I did was implementing controls, configurations. I would document those controls as we were going through, literally documenting each control we put on. And if it broke the system, I would remove that and figure out, like, what else can we do if that security control is not on there? So I had to know a little bit of uh, of Linux, some Unix. I had to know some um, Microsoft Word because we had Word, uh, not Word, Microsoft's operating systems. Um, I had to know um, how how servers worked. I had to know how networking worked because I was involved with the process from start to finish. I was working with the engineers, the system engineers. I was working with the system administrators. We had tons of meetings on a daily basis. Uh, it was very hands on. We worked long hours. Uh, it was so that's my first job. I was an information system security officer. I had to do meetings. I had to sit in and actually put the controls on the system, all that kind of stuff. Now, let me tell you about another one I had where it's mostly documentation. And it's it's kind of like the way I can describe it is kind of like a, a secretary for an information system. Um, so what I would do is I was making sure the security controls were enabled. I wasn't applying the security controls. I was like going down a list saying, OK, this security control is not on there. So the most hands on thing I would do would be to run a scan on that individual system. That's what I would do. I would run a scan on that system to make sure that the controls are on there. If it wasn't, I would document that and say, okay, this is this control's not applied. What are we doing about this? This this control is not applied. What are we doing about this? And I would document that. And that documentation would break off into several different directions. So it was a lot of documentation because you had a system security plan, which was it's it's a very dense document with all the controls and a description of the controls that are implemented and the ones that you couldn't implement on there. I had to do plan of action and milestones, which is like we couldn't apply this patch on there. We couldn't apply this particular control. So now we have to figure we have to explain when we're going to fix it, who's going to fix it and then how we're actually going to break that down and fix it. And then what does what's the impact to our organization? Because we can't put, say, a 14 character password on this particular system. So we it's a that also is a very comprehensive document. In some cases, it depends on the organization. Sometimes they're very comprehensive, sometimes not so much. Um, so we had to do uh, what other documents we had to do. I had to do uh, policy. So I was writing policies. I was writing, sometimes helping with procedures. I was it was a lot of writing, uh, which I actually prefer. I'm like. It, our writing is very easy for me. So uh, it's that that's mostly what I did was write. And and the, the most hands on thing I did was scan. And I was working with the Air Force when I was doing that. I was a contractor working with the Air Force. And it was like a weather weather agency. We had this system that uh, had to have a certain level of security controls on it. So I was mostly doing documentation and, and writing. OK, so now I'm going to tell you what I'm doing now. So I'm working for a federal organization. And I'm an information system security officer. And so the tasks that I do is a combination of both of those things. I'm not applying controls on the system. Mostly what I'm doing is what's called continuous monitoring. And continuous monitoring, what that means is making is constantly watching the system's security posture. That means like what level is the security, what level of security is the system at? And that might seem like, well, Bruce, like, what do you mean by that? Like, what does <laughs> that make any sense? Uh, so if you have a imagine this, if you have a large environment of, say, a thousand systems and you've got, say, 95 percent of those systems are Windows systems and I don't know, 100 systems are Linux or Unix or whatever uh, or, you know, whatever, pick your own other system. But 90 most of them are Windows systems, a thousand systems. now. Patches have to be applied. Vulnerabilities are being found on those systems. And then you've got software on those systems that also have patches that need to be applied. Now, you you probably ignore it on a day-to-day -day basis, but on any given day on your system right now, there's probably vulnerabilities on it. There's vulnerabilities for, for your browser. There's vulnerabilities for your word processor. There's, vul there's vulnerabilities happening right now on your system right now. 
that you could just reboot it and then it's it's automatically magically there's no more security controls on it. But if you have a thousand systems and these systems are housing people's social security numbers <laughs> and these systems are important. So now it's much more important for you to get those vulnerabilities fixed. Now, if you have a thousand systems, sometimes patches won't automatically get applied. And as a matter of fact, some systems, if you were to automatically apply some of those patches, it might break it. So you have to actually test and make sure it doesn't break anything first before you apply those patches. So with a thousand systems out there, we're constantly monitoring these. And so vulnerabilities are being detected. We have an automated system automatically detects vulnerabilities. It comes to me. It does an automatic report that comes to me. And I'm looking through all of these controls. I'm like, okay, what is this one? How many systems does it affect? This is a SQL vulnerability and it affects 15 systems. Um, so what we use to detect these is, is a combination of different tools. Um, Microsoft itself, Windows systems themselves automatically will detect when there's a vulnerability. So they'll automatically have, um, they'll, they, that vendor usually will tell you, hey, we have this, we just detected this patch. We're going to send it out to all of our clients. So they'll, they'll constantly send those things out. So you got that. Then you've got your vulnerability scanners. You have a system that constantly scans your whole network. So we're getting a report from that and we're looking at that. I'm looking at, okay, we got a dozen systems that have a SQL vulnerability. And what I'll do is I'll annotate that. I go to I go to this database and we put like a ticket in saying, okay, this these control systems right here are affected by this. And I have to coordinate with the actual team that has to go to that site and fix it. So it's it's constantly doing that. So we have thousands of systems and we're constantly going through and doing vulnerability, uh, helping with vulnerability management. We do it all as a team. There's one team that actually fixes it on the site. There's one team that that myself that figures out, okay, is this legit? Like, is this our system, number one? If it's not ours, who does it belong to? Is this uh, something that we need to worry about? Is this something that we can't fix, that we got to make it into a plan of action, a milestone that we fix it later? Is what are we going to do? So as you can imagine, this is a lot of meetings. It's a lot of documentation um, and it's a lot of scanning. So our team actually helps with the scanning. Our team actually coordinates with other teams that are doing penetration testing. And our team is actually linking with uh, the actual IT people out in the field, the actual system administrators and the, uh, the help desk professionals who are out there touching the systems. So that is what I'm doing from on a day-to-day -day basis for this. And that's that's typical of GRC GRC uh, jobs is that it's not 100% hands-on where I'm actually standing up the system usually. I had, I've had had jobs where I did do that, and I had to know a lot about basic information technology to do all that kind of stuff, but I was working with a subject matter expert who was really good at, say, firewalls, if we were working on a firewall or whatever, right? But I had to know enough to, to uh, give him some insight into the security features, right? So I had to know, like, what, what things can we do and what things can we not do and i had to also know the policy so a grc person has to know a combination of the policies and that's like if you're in medical healthcare professional you you have to know hipaa pretty good you got to know how how do we protect the digital uh the uh the digital versions of our clients our patients uh rec medical records for example if you're in federal if you're in the federal government you have to know okay um is this is this a sensitive but unclassified information? Is this is this um, is this does this data need to be encrypted? What so you have to know certain um, compliance stuff, but also you need to know the IT, the information technology side as well. So you got to have to be like um, you have to know both of those things to a certain extent to where you can actually um, be of some help to the organization and the thing is if you don't know it you could you could just you could learn it you know if you have hands-on experience with it especially if you happen to be in a healthcare professional that's actually very good because you literally know what kinds of data is there a lot of it people off the street if they just got employed into a hospital or a medical care facility they they know it from a book standpoint point but they don't know like literally what that data is like if there's an x-ray scan what is what kind of file is that that's going to be that's given to the doctors on the network or whatever and then what kind of protection do we need to apply to that you might know that because you used to work with the x-ray technicians or something 
Okay, I've got some questions here. This is a great opportunity to ask me questions. I really like the ones that help everyone. Um, so I'm going to take a few. I'm not going to be on here for three hours and two hours and stuff like I normally do. So bear with me, you guys. Um, let me see. I've got a question on YouTube and somebody says, what is the difference between an information system security officer and an information system security engineer? That's a great question. Because in the first example that I gave where I was talking about, I was very hands on. You could classify me as an information system security engineer. So here's the difference. An information system security engineer is usually much more hands on and they're dealing with hands on with the actual technical details of a system. So they're they're more technical and they're actually fixing the security issues of a system. They're not just fixing, but uh, implementing controls, uh, implementing security features on a system like they're hands on doing that. But they'd have to know also some of the regulations. So they're more heavily they do have to know the regulations, but they're more heavily into the actual um, technical hands on piece. The information security officer is hands off like they're they don't have a lot of hands on. They might do some scanning. They might they do have to know some IT stuff. Don't get me wrong. They have to know how the computer works. They have to know like how RAM works with the storage, works with the, the CPU. They have to know like basic stuff, how a network works. That, that kind of, they have to know that stuff. But they're not going to be the person like saying, OK, we have to reconfigure this router and let me help figure this. Let's figure out how to do this router right now. You know, so that's the difference. The SSE, ISSE is more technical. Um, even if they're not hands-on, they're technical in the implementation of the actual security controls. You know, they might not actually, they might have to know, like, how do I put the actual uh, firewall rules on this Cisco firewall, this Palo Alto firewall? They know that, that kind of stuff. They go that deep in some cases, or they know, like, they're more deep into the networking piece, and they have to work directly with the network engineers to actually put, I don't know, um, EIGRP on routing protocols on an on a router or something, whatever it is, right? They would be helping and be figuring out, okay, what are the what what's the security imp, what once we've implemented this, what's what's the impact to our organization? Whereas an ISSO, they're doing plan of action milestones. They're help they're helping with the actual policies, the procedures. Um, they're less hands on, so that's the difference between those two. I hope that answers your question, Samantha. Okay, let me see if there's any other questions here. Somebody asked me, um, I came in late. Are patches, are patches teams like white blood cells attacking, <laughs> uh, killing viruses in the body? Okay, um, so a, a, a better analogy for you, Kenya, would be, um, it, it would be like, um, hmm. Patches would be a part of the of the white blood cell immune system. That would be part of it. But a better analogy, a, a more complete analogy would be the malware protection systems or antivirus systems. As a matter of fact, the um, that's how they came up with that idea of having signatures in a in the malware protection devices. So malware malware. So let me give you a specific example. McAfee, John McAfee, I believe, was one of the first ones who came up with this. John, God rest his soul, <laughs> passed away. Uh, that guy's crazy, by the way. He was he was out of his mind crazy. I don't know if you ever seen that documentary about John McAfee, but boy, oh boy, um, that that brilliance came with a price. That man was not all there, but he was brilliant. So John McAfee uh, was one of the first people who came up with the idea that that malware, anti malware should be like a immune system where just like when you get inoculated for like the flu, the most current strain of the flu. So he was, he, he, I believe he's the first ones who came up with the idea of a signature. So whenever you implement mal malware prevention systems on your system, on your system it's constantly being updated with the latest signature, which is kind of like, which is, which is very much like the latest flu. Uh, vaccination because the flu is basically giving you some of the um, it's giving you it's giving your white blood cells in your immune system like the the schematics to the next attack you know it's giving it like that you right so it's that's what you're doing with malware prevention but 
to to round out your your analogy, what you're saying is, yeah. So the patches is going to help protect your the body or the organization system from viruses, from different attack vectors. I mean, different attacks that might happen. Different attacks might be um, uh, might be uh, not just viruses, not just malware, but also users clicking on stuff they shouldn't click on. They get an email and it looks like it came from the IT department, but it's a phishing attack. It's a fake email that looks very much like your hospital's normal um, email. And you click on it and it takes you to a malware site. Nothing happens like, hey, I'm clicking this link over and over again and nothing's happening. But little do you know, in the background, something is happening. Malware is being installed on your on your system and it's doing what it what it does. That's what happens. Like they'll click on something and then it comes into your network and you think nothing's happening. But in the background, something's running. But if you have malware prevention, it'll detect that. It'll say, oh, what is this? I know what this is. I I have the latest signature. I'm going to kick this thing out. This is not going anywhere. So a lot of these hack attacks that you see on the news, what's happening is they don't have they don't have a process where they are able to catch systems that don't have the proper software. They're not configured properly. If you have a think about it like this, if you are in a hospital, if you're in a take your pick of large organizations, you have a thousand systems on your floor. What happens is it's really hard to control all those systems. It just gets un, you can't just have one person running that. And if you do, it, it's I mean, they're either going to be very efficient running a ton of different systems and really know what the hell they're talking doing or that system is going to get destroyed because it's too hard to manage all those systems. It's too hard. Each system has hundreds of soft pieces of software and each one of those hundreds of pieces of software can be compromised and take out your whole network. So you have to have uh, something that manages, help you to manage all of the software, all of the hardware on in the environment. you got to know what is running at any given second on your environment, especially if you have a thousand systems and those systems have to have have to be inoculated, have to have a malware prevention system that's constantly having signatures being updated. You could run that automatically, but guess what? Not all systems uh, can actually have an automated uh, patching system. Not all like your servers, for example. There's some patches that'll break your, that can break some of your functionality. If you have a medical device that is configured to do x-ray technician work, and then this this x-ray technician uh, software will will email all the doctors what they need to know, and it has it has permissions that are compliant with HIPAA, and it's very complicated, right? It has a, a centralized server, and then you run a patch, and it's sitting. Let's say it's on a Windows server, it's on a Windows 2019 server or whatever it is, and you run a patch on it, it can literally break the software that is running on top of that server. It could break that X-ray technician centralized server software because there's something on the patch that is non-compliant, that is incompatible with the actual uh, software. So you can't always run automatically run stuff in the background. So sometimes you need a person to, to test that x-ray technician software in a test environment, not in production. Upload the patch like you need the patch because it's a, let's say it's a zero day exploit. That means if. Nobody knows about it. It just happened and it, and it's it could take out your whole network because it's a, a worm or whatever. So what you want to do is take it into a testing environment and update the patches on it. Make sure it works. Test it. Make sure it's, it can send out the files or whatever. Now you have the patched system. The software works on top of it. You've tested it. Now you can bring it into the production environment. That's That's some of the complications that happen with you just can't have everything automated. You know, we're not there yet. And maybe we'll never be there because there are certain things that are going to be incompatible with, um, you know, with certain so certain software is not going to be compatible. So I hope that answers your question. Um, that was a lo very long winded. I think I could have done that one better. <laughs> uh, let me see here. Uh, let me see if there's another question. Um, I thought I had a pretty good question here. Let me see. I got some questions on TikTok. And uh, I'm not going to hold you guys too long um, on the, today because I got to I'm going to go watch that movie, Avatar movie, that 20 hour movie <laughs> with my kid. Uh, 
let me see. Questions, questions, questions. Are there any 150 to 200 thousand uh, dollar jobs in security? Yes. Um, yeah. Um, so most of the jobs that I get are in that range, um, two two fifty range. So uh, if you go to, and it depends on where you go. So, but cybersecurity, yeah, of course, yes, absolutely. There's jobs for that. It depends on where you where you go in the position, of course, and then you know your background and things like that. But um, if you have, but I can give you like a general idea of where you can get 150 jobs. 150,000 jobs are pretty normal in certain areas of the of the country. First of all, um, Plano, Texas, certain parts of Texas, Austin, Texas, Plano, Texas is a is a big hub for 150,000 dollar technical jobs. Uh, so that's a good place. San Antonio has some pretty good six figure jobs like that. The D.C. area, the D.M.V. area. D.C., Virginia, Maryland, 100, 100 grand is not that much there, to be honest with you. <laughs> 150 is kind of like whatever. Uh, they're, they're usually looking for like people with a clearance or a have eligibility to get a clearance. That just means you're a U.S. citizen. But that doesn't mean you have to be a U.S. citizen to make that much money, by the way. Um, and then let me see other areas. Southern Color California, parts of Colorado have a whole bunch of uh, military installations there. Um, so there's certain parts of the or of the you of the U.S. that lends themselves to automatically you're going to be making that kind of money. And then there's certain certifica certifications that will get you closer to that professional level certifications. That would be like a CCNP for Cisco networking uh, uh, networking type uh, jobs. Another one would be man v VCN VMware has a bunch of them. I think it's called VCP. Certification that's like a six figure certification. CISSP is a six figure certification. CASP is another one, those are all professional level, they're difficult certifications to get. But once you get them, uh, provided you have the proper you're in the right area, you have a certain level of experience in certain areas of IT, you can get six figures. Um, skills if you are high level software engineer, that's six figures. If you are a uh, if you're a cloud, if you're a high level cloud person, not even mid, you could be a mid tier cloud person, like not even not even high level. You probably have to be more an entry level for cloud, but that that's a six figure job. What was another six figure job? Um, I'm just off the top of my head, I'm trying to name some six figure jobs in that are in cybersecurity. Uh, and there's there's a few bit more. I so the stuff I'm talking about to you today, information system security officer and compliance is also a six figure job, especially if you have a little experience with it. If you have any kind of IT background and you bring that, if you have any kind of um, hell, if you have, um, if you are a nurse and you know HIPAA and you cross train into IT and do compliance for HIPAA, that's a six-figure job. Um, it may take you a little bit of time to get there, maybe a couple of years to get to a six-figure job, but yeah, it's a six-figure job. Um, yeah, so six figures in cybersecurity, absolutely, yeah. Somebody said, what about Houston? Houston is a great place. It is very hot. The, the, the what is it called? Um, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That's also a six-figure area for high-level IT. Houston, of course, is a high-level. Any kind of big city is high, is going to be uh, six-figure IT jobs. Uh, but I, keep in mind, six-figure is not a lot in in some of these cities. Um, let me see. What are the what are the best places for entry-level cybersecurity jobs? I wouldn't say for entry-level is very special because you can get entry-level jobs just about anywhere. Um, so the best places would be the place I would say the places with the most jobs, period. So in cybersecurity, the most jobs are on the East Coast for sure. Specifically in uh the the DMV area. So that's the DC, Virginia, Maryland area will probably be the best place for entry-level cybersecurity jobs. Um I was there was there's a lot here in Colorado. I'm in Colorado. There's a lot here because there's a lot of bases here, but you'd be working for the Department of Defense. But there are entry level cybersecurity jobs here. Um, those are the top places. There's some in Southern California. There's some in the big cities 
anywhere where there's a high concentration of cybersecurity jobs, those are the ones that are going to have the most um, the most jobs uh, for for uh, entry level. Let me see. Um, let me see here. Any tips on documenting controls and such? So this is a good question. Somebody's asking me about tips on documenting the controls. Um, yes, I can give you a couple tips. So tip number one is don't don't no person is an island. Don't be an island. Rely on your team, your stakeholders, your subject matter experts. Don't try to don't try to come up with stuff on your own. Like if you're not a firewall person, like I'm not a firewall person. If I have to write something about a system that's regarding a control that has to do with this firewalls, I need to reach out to the subject matter experts, which is the firewall team. I, and you've got to learn to trust your firewall team. That's one thing. Another another thing is if you're actually reaching out to these people, don't try to be the cops. Don't don't try to like a lot of cybersecurity people. They want to throw their weight around or something. I don't know what that's all about, but they want to throw their weight around and their authority around and say, hey, you can't do this. And don't be an asshole. Like, like put yourself in their position. Like this person is working long hours. They don't have a lot of time. They don't want to talk to the documentation people. Make a schedule. Put it on a schedule and say, hey, do you have time to talk to me? It, I won't take too much of your time. I just have this documentation that I need to do. Be kind. Like, be kind. Use your words. Don't don't overreact. Don't put people on blast on email, even if they try to do that to you. Don't don't do that. You you have to reach out to people. So see see things from their perspective. And just remember, this is just a job. Don't get in your feelings about things. Um, another thing I would say about documenting is put it in the language of your audience. So what I mean by that is if you're doing executive summary, executive summary is for executives. It's for high level people that don't have a lot of time. You don't have to write a three page document for executive summary. Write it short. It's sweet. Get straight to the point because these the C-level execs don't have a lot of time. If you're writing a document for management people, write it in their language. If you're writing a procedure that's very technical, write it in that language. So write the document in the language of the audience that you're serving. Um so those are the main things that I've learned from documenting it, it, is those things right there. Um, another thing is don't reinvent the wheel. If, if they already have a document that they've had before and, and you get tasked, this recently happened to me. So you get, I get tasked with writing this document, right? And they're like, hey, we got this policy. Here it is right here. And some people would want to throw out all the old documentation, just rewrite it, right? And I'm like, no, no don't do that. So take the old documentation that they have, anything, anything at all, no matter how crappy it is, take that and boil that down to the requirements that you need. Take Because the requirements are what's important. It may not be clear. It might may not be the greatest writing. Maybe it's hard to understand. Maybe it's just, it's just garbage. But what's not garbage is the, is the requirements that are written, were written there from the beginning. So take those requirements and rewrite them in a clear way for the audience that you're serving. If you're writing it for technical people, you can be technical. You can put all kind of jargon in there that they would understand. You can put, But if you're writing to uh, everybody, you've got to write it in such a way that everyone can understand it, even if they're not technical. If you can't just be throwing around things like terms like um, VPN without explaining what a VPN is. Right. To you and I, it might be like, OK, I know what a VPN is. Yes, but everybody doesn't. So you got to explain what that is like. You got to write to the largest audience. If you're writing like a standard that everybody's going to read, that's your audience. Write it to everybody. Don't try to don't try to look smart and throw all these big words in there that people can't understand. Only five people are going to understand it. Right. Write it to people so people can understand what it is you're trying to convey in that particular document. So those are my tips for writing documents and controls. Um, um, didn't catch you talking about auditing. I could talk about auditing, man. I, I got some, I got some auditing experience. <laughs> What's a good entry level cert to get, or do I need to go back to school? Um, I would say, let me, let me put it to you like this. The best thing you can have is experience in it. 
period, hands down. Everybody talks about certifications, but the best thing you can have, period, is, is experience. Now, if you don't have experience and you're trying to break into this field, not to worry. You need to get the knowledge, right? The best place to get the knowledge is for cybersecurity is a university. And I, I know that there's a lot of bad talk about universities, and I understand their books are overpriced, their whole tuition's overpriced. It's a freaking racket. I get it. But I'm just telling you, if you have a degree in information technology, it doesn't have to be in cybersecurity, a degree in information technology, it's number one, it's going to get you uh, in the door making more money faster. Um, number two, it's a great way to just like focus on one thing for like a couple years and just learn nothing but IT stuff for one year. Like a lot of people don't have the discipline to do that. So those two things right there are awesome. If you can't, if you can't, don't have the experience right, right now, you can't get a degree for whatever reason. Okay. Not to worry. You still don't have to worry. You can still get the knowledge and get yourself in the door. What's the best certification to get for entry level cybersecurity? Uh, that would be that would be the Security Plus. CompTIA Security Plus, hands down, is the best best one to get. <clears throat> and the reason why I say that is because most federal organizations uh, not only know what it is, but it's on like uh, an approved list of certifications that they're looking for all the time. Um, another thing is a lot of industries, like whether it's the whether it's the public sector, private sector, whether it's the healthcare sector, whether it's um, financial sector, whatever, they all know what Security Plus is. It's a very popular certification. So hands down for that. Now, if you completely entry level, you don't know nothing about IT, you, you want to come in from scratch, you want to have to learn stuff from scratch, I would I would highly recommend the CompTIA A plus certification to learn. CompTIA A plus breaks down uh, what what a computer is. So this thing right here, your phone is a computer. Your server is a computer. Uh, the, the servers that house Netflix are computers. The cloud is computers. It's all computers. And there's a, only a few components in there that you really need to know. You don't need to know. You're not going, you're not a mathematician. You're not trying to break down the, the actual um, addressing that's in the, in, inside of the, the, the RAM module, like you don't have to go that deep into the mathematics of of how that works. I don't know. Like, listen to how I'm talking. I have no idea how that works. It's magic. It's completely magic to me. But what you do need to know is how the RAM works with the CPU, works with the storage, and how malware could interrupt that. You know, it's going to teach you things like that. The A-plus certification. It's going to tell, tell you about how networking works, you know, which can get pretty complicated. But once you understand how IPs work and different kinds of IPs and things like that, subnet masking, what that means, once you learn some of these terms and how they work, that's enough uh, to get you in the door and make pretty good money. And I am I am living proof of that because I'm not freaking the, the deepest guy on network engineering. Uh, but it's going to tell you about software, hardware, operating systems, all that kind of stuff. All that's in A plus certification. So that's one I rate. Plus, the industry knows what it is. A lot of people crap on it and say, oh, no, don't get that. Go get the Google uh, IT support. And that's fine. I'm not and I'm not saying don't get that one. I'm just saying A plus certification. People know what that is. Um, the Google IT support. You can get that one, too. I've, I've heard good, great things about that. That's another good entry level certification from what I've heard. Um, it's not going to automatically get you six figures like some people are saying. out. I don't know why they're saying that. Um, that's not true. <laughs> But that's another good entry level. Network Plus is a good to learn. It's not very good. It's not very marketable, but it's a very good one to learn networking. Another good entry level would be the AWS um, Cloud Practitioner. That's a really good one for entry level. So those those are the ones I if I would start all over again, knowing what I know, having done this for 20 years, those are the ones that I would do if I knowing what I know now. So. Let me see. I got some other questions here on YouTube. Thanks, guys, for asking me questions. When when you say cross train into IT, can you explain briefly? Yes, um, I want to dominate. I want to dominate the discussion. I don't want to dominate the discussion. <laughs> no problem, Kenya. Um, when I say cross train, I, 
is a term we use in the Air Force. It just means <laughs> it just means um, I'll give you an example. Let me give you a, a specific example. This this is me. I don't know if you guys can see this, but this is me holding a, an M16 A1. That's how old this picture is. An M16. I was a weapon specialist. This is a, a Mark 19. Uh, this is a Humvee. I was a I was a grunt in the Air Force. That's this is what I'm showing right here. I was a grunt in the Air Force. I was a weapon specialist. That's what I did. And so I cross trained. I moved from being a, a security purely grunt, uh, knowing nothing but weapons and physical security into computers. And uh, that's what I mean by cross train and just moving from one career path to another is a better way to put it. <laughs> I'm using some military jargon. I shouldn't do that. Uh, let me see. Hey, Bruce, what is your opinion on the CYSA plus? Um, I got my security plus and and uh, we'll be getting SYSA in the next month or so. I think it's a good certification specifically for if you're going to work in a in a security operations center and security operations center is a it's an organization that looks at that tries to find incidents. So what they do is they focus on. Um, Security incidents like that. What that means is like give you some examples like you, you you're, they're looking at logs on a computer and then they're trying to determine what these logs mean. They're they're interpreting the logs and what's going on. And then they have to know what to do if this is actually a malware. If they detect malware, that's a security incident. Now they have to escalate it and they have to do an incident response, incident handling. Maybe they have to isolate it. They have to disconnect the system. They have to do a report on it. So. SYSA, if I'm not mistaken, is for that type of work. And it's like an entry level um, security. It, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, if you that's what I understand of that SYA plus. Um, so it's it's for like a security analyst type position. That's what security analysts do is they look at they're trying to determine what's a security incident and then how to respond to those security incidents. It's an entry level a cybersecurity analyst certification. Uh, let me see. And is it good? Yeah, especially if you're trying to be a security analyst. Um, what positions would you recommend for a, a system engineer that is taking a CISSP next month? What positions would I recommend? Um, CISSP changed my life. Um, CISSP is a very good certification. Um, any kind of and what I've learned over the years is any kind of professional grade certification is life changing and can actually replace. Can be a good supplement, I should say, to a degree. Nothing's going to replace a degree. A degree is, is awesome. You know, even in this day and age, I know that it's not as great as it was once was. But a degree is 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 really up there. Like so your time was not wasted by getting a degree. You know, I, mean, I don't want to I don't want to imply that. But. A CISSP, I've met I've met people who are making six figures with no with no degree with a CISSP. <laughs> Easily making six figures with no degree with a CISSP. CISSP is no joke. What what position would I would I recommend? It depends on what area of cybersecurity you want to go into. Um, if you're very hands-on and technical, still depends. Like if you're trying to be a a pen tester, you know, you, you would go into um, you'd be a you know, apply for a pen testing job. But what I would do if I were you, if I, if I was going to get be a CISSP is I would put on my resume. I would put uh, working on my CISSP on your resume because I've gotten jobs like that. So it, before I had a CISSP, I'd put working on this or that certification. And what that does is when the technical recruiters are looking for a CISSP, they'll, your resume will come up like, oh, this guy has a CISSP. Oh, no, he's working on a CISSP. Then they'll sometimes if they like the rest of your resume, your experience or whatever, they'll say they'll call you into an interview and they'll say, look, we know you don't have a CISSP, but can you get one in X amount of months and you can still get the job? So what job would I recommend? Put it on your resume right now and find out. Find out because they're going to come to you. They'll offer the job to you. It depends as far as what one do I recommend uh, to you as a system engineer. If you want to remain technical, um, information system security engineering. That'd be perfect for you. Hope that answers your question. Um, eventually, would 
um, would like to go for an ISO. That's awesome. Okay, let me answer some uh, TikTok, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be on here all day, guys. I'm gonna go see that Avatar movie in a couple in about an hour, about thirty minutes or so. Um, how can um, how can all this help secure our government systems if if they are not updated? That's a great question. Um, thank you for asking that question. How can all this help secure our government systems if they are not updated? So, oh, wow. So I've got some I've been doing I've been doing this work for a long time, specifically for the government. And when I first started this, I was working for the Department of Defense. I was in the Air Force when I cross trained from being a cop. And one of the problems that we had in the early 2000s was that some of the systems that they were purchased would have modems in them. You guys know what a modem is? I don't know. Like I know some of the TikTok people don't know what them. I don't know. I'm 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 showing my age here, so I, I don't know if you guys know what a modem is. But a modem was a like a dial-up device that you have in a computer. I'm asking because my kids don't know what a modem is. I'm sure they don't know what that is. A modem is like a it's <laughs> it's a it's a phone connection. You used to dial through the get to the internet through the phone. And so anyway, the government would would buy a thousand systems and all of them would have a modem. And when they're when they're putting the system together, the the system security teams, not the security teams, the information, the help desk people would be putting it in. And then they would plug in the modem into the back of the wall. But it was on a network. So you had it had two connections to the Internet, one through the network that they controlled and one through the modem that they they accidentally plugged into the wall because it was like, oh, well, here's a phone jack. I better plug this in to the phone jack because that's how it's going to go into. They just didn't understand. They didn't know any better. So I'm getting to a story here. I'm going to explain how how you protect government systems. But I just want to tell you, like in the beginning, they would just buy a whole bunch of computers and there was no configuration management. That means that they didn't they didn't configure the systems except the password. They just plugged it in and you had a modem plugged in the back. And that is how a lot of these teenage hackers, whenever you hear about, oh, this teenager hacked this government system and what they were doing is what's called war dialing. So what these teenagers were doing was they would <clears throat> they'd have a modem who was rich enough to have a computer at that time because they were very expensive back back in the 90s or late 90s. Right. Some of these systems were purchased in the late 90s and rolled into two, early 2000s. So anyway. These kids have computer, have a computer in the house, and they would do war dialing, which is where you have the software on their computer, which would dial a hundred numbers. It would just go down this list and just dial all these numbers, and some of those would be modems. And the modems, the thing is, they had no security at all. So somebody would just be able to hack right into the back end of a server at a military installation, for example. So the reason why GRC, the reason why information system security officer work, the reason why the stuff I'm talking about is so important is because we wouldn't allow that kind of stuff to happen. With GRC, every system that comes into the organization has to be vetted. Like we have to look at every single system. There's a process in place to look at every system and make sure the default configurations are not put on there. If there's a modem, we're ripping it out of there. There's no modems these days, but you get what I'm saying. There's not going to be anything on that system that is not supposed to be on there. Wi-Fi right now, Wi-Fi is like the new modem because <laughs> a lot of times systems come in and you have a Wi-Fi connection and a USB connection and some governments like systems are not supposed to have Wi-Fi enabled. So that's one of the things that we would in, we would eliminate. We'd say, okay, this doesn't need to have Wi-Fi. There's no reason for this particular system to have Wi-Fi. Turn it off. In fact, disable it, making sure that there's not only disabled, but you cannot, it has no Wi-Fi capabilities in some cases. That's why it's important. Every system that comes into your organization has to be vetted through a whole process. It's not just one person doing it. It's a whole process that all of us are subscribed to. There's a process where it comes in. Number one, we're only buying from vendors, uh, approved vendors, number one. And then when we order it, it only has what we say that's going to have. We being the organization. We say we don't want no modems on it. We don't want we don't want no um, Bluetooth version one on it. We don't want. Whatever, like you can literally go down the list and say, we want this, we want this, we want this, we want this. Okay, order. Okay, now also, does it have support? We want support on this thing. 
We want vendor support. Like from, from the time that you order it to the time that it's being decommissioned, we control the entire process. It's called system development lifecycle. And security has to be involved in that process from the beginning to the end. And when I first got into this industry, when I first got into the government doing IT stuff, they didn't have that. It wasn't very well done because they would order systems that had modems in them and they would plug it into the wall. And then lo and behold, the system's hacked. So that's why it's important to have. Uh, that's how we protect and secure the government systems. And if you're like, well, I hate the government. Screw the government. I'm glad they got hacked. The government is you guys. Like, we are the government. We are the government. We are the ones who elect the officials, okay? Lo love it or hate it, we're the ones who are paying the taxes to buy those systems. We're the ones who have relatives who are in the military. We're the ones who have police officers, cousins, and uncles and stuff. We are the freaking government. It's all of us. And if you're still like, I'm not the government, I'll have relatives. All of your information is in the government. Every all of your information, all of it, all of it, your social security, where you live, how how much money you make, where you work, all of it, somebody has it in some local, state, or federal government somewhere. You have a license, right? That's with the government. Like if they don't control, if they don't physically control these systems, if they don't logically put the security controls on the systems, your stuff is going to get hacked. So just keep that in mind. We are the government. The government has your information. We want them to be protected. We do not want them to be hacked, right? Because I, I did a video on TikTok and I said, oh, you know, you don't want the DNC party to get hacked. And somebody says, yes, you do. He did a video about my, my stuff saying, you do want to be hacked. You do want this. I'm like, what is this guy? He completely did not understand what I'm saying. <laughs> like, because he's, I don't know, whatever party affiliation, I'm not sure. or He's not affiliated. I don't know. But this is not emotional. This is like we're trying to protect our data because our data is the government has it. So that's what I was saying. More people need to realize that. Yes. I mean, when you work in the government or with the government, you start to realize that you're like, oh, my, you'll see things. And uh, working with banks, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, man, like there's certain things that if it's not there, you're like, oh, my God, it's terrifying. If you've ever worked in the there's certain infrastructure jobs that I've worked that are terrifying. Like if these guys don't have their shit together, it is terrifying. Banks. Hospitals. Government institutions, those the, it's terrifying, like I've worked in these places and sometimes I'm like. I'm like, damn, I mean, we're fixing it. Well, I'm, I'm, they hired me to help. But I'm like, if this is this messed up, imagine how some other mom and pop bank is. Imagine like I'm thinking that way. You know what I mean? Like. Anyway. What do you use to detect? Um, what do you use to detect? Like, I, I assume you're talking about when we're detecting security incidents. We use a combination of different tools. Um, so there's the ones you might know will be like Tenable, or you might use, uh, which is like Net Nessus scanners. You might use Qualys. You might use, those are like high grade, like some of the higher level um, vulnerability scanners. It's a scanner that's looking for vulnerabilities across your network. So it's just, it's just going through every single IP and checking to see if it can get into that into that system, like it's looking at the ports of the system. It looks at the IP, then it looks at the ports. That's the port 25, port 23, port. And if you actually start studying IT, you'll start to know what I'm talking about. But it's going to look at the ports, protocols, and services on that particular IP. Can I reach it? Can I, now that I can reach it, can I can I get into this system using a basic hack? What what happens if I do a, a denial of service attack on it? What It's all doing this automatically in the background. So that's one of the tools that you use. Another thing that uh, organizations, especially larger organizations use is uh, what's called pen testing, penetration testing. You actually have a person who has skills to hack, who will get authorization first, and they will attempt to hack into certain systems. They'll actually use techniques that are common to hackers to infiltrate the network or infiltrate the system. And if they can, they'll send out a report saying, hey, we got into the system. Here's how we got in. You might, here's the solutions. 
possible fix actions you can use to remediate, fix that system. And then they send that to the organization and then they fix it. So those are two ways that you would detect those things. Another thing is called threat, threat hunting. So threat hunting is a little bit different where you'll have a cybersecurity person go out into the dark web, go out onto the Internet, go out on social media and look for things like exploited credentials like pass username passwords. You might be like, well, Bruce, like what, who's going to put their government or banking information out? Of, well, you will, this you, like you'll do it. <laughs> how, well, how you may ask, because you're going to use the same uh, email and password on your bank and your DMV as you use at your, at Netflix or whatever, like you, and then Netflix get hacked. And then Netflix, <laughs> this is how it works. <laughs> it's funny, but it's also terrifying. So what happens is we, all, all of us, you, will use your the same email and password for Netflix that you use to get in DMV. And then D, uh, Netflix, God forbid, gets hacked. And then the hack is like, whenever you hear those things like a billion passwords, Passwords and usernames have been leaked on the internet. What that means is there's the, what happens is the hackers will take it and they'll sell it onto what's called the dark web. Dark web is like a secret internet, like it's a hidden secret internet. And they'll sell, they'll sell these big, long lists of all the credentials that they got from. A good example of where this actually happened was um, PlayStation Network got hacked. PlayStation, this happens all over. There's, there's many different examples I could give. But PlayStation Network about four years ago got hacked. And all those credentials got leaked to the internet. And then somebody's selling this big list of all these credentials on the dark web. And then so what those hackers do, they'll buy that that list and then they'll take that list and then they'll they'll use that list. They'll they'll cross-reference it. Like if it has your user, your username, password, and then you're associated with your real name, they'll take that real name and say, hmm, I let me see if they have this bank. And they'll say, okay. Do they have this bank? Do they have this bank? They'll they'll use that information that they gather from PlayStation Network to cross-reference it with other, not necessarily bank, but to use it with to gain access to other systems. So that's the danger of having of having your information out there. And if you're interested in knowing like how you can figure out whether or not you've been hacked, you can go to this site. Let me see if I can show you this site that uh, that I go to often. It's called um have I been pawned? You go to this site right here. And this, this is terrifying. Um, don't do this in, with, with people around. Um, do this in the privacy of your own home. Um, but here's the site right here. I'm not typing my stuff in this thing right now. I don't want you guys to see my stuff. But the this right here is an example of uh, this will tell you if your email has been hacked. You just put your email in there. And then it will tell you if your email has been ever been ha been leaked on PlayStation Network or wherever you used it. And what you don't. the, the OK, the moral of this story is do not use the same username and password um, on the same sites. And I know that's hard to do, but what you want to do is use a password uh, manager, use a password manager and then manage. Make sure you change all your passwords make it so that every single account you have from your hospital to your banking to your to the less obvious ones like Netflix and your Hulu or whatever make sure every single one has a different um a different password not necessarily um email but different password for sure you know cuz otherwise you have 100 emails but different username and different password okay that's that's the moral of the story and whenever you can Use what's called multi-factor or two-factor authentication. You know where it sends you a code back to your phone or sends you a code to your authenticator or whatever that you have on your phone to get that code and put in there. Those those two things alone will make it so that you are nobody's 100%. Um, anybody can get it at any time. So, you know, there's no 100% guarantee that you'll never be hacked, <laughs> but it will make it much harder to hack you. So that's that's kind of what you want to do. Um, let me see. Which vulnerability scanner? Okay, I already answered that one. 
do you recommend Sigma uh, Six Sigma? I'm not familiar with Six Sigma. Six Sigma. I know it has something to do with Program Manager. Um, what IT do you recommend for a registered nurse? Um, I get a lot of people who are in nursing, and I know nursing is is super hard. Uh, the healthcare industry as a whole is really hard. Probably after COVID, y'all are like, no way, I'm done. <laughs> y'all are like, I'm done. I'm done. Overworked, underpaid, I'm out. Y'all don't respect me. I'm out of this. That must be what happened. But anyway, a lot of nurses and, and uh, healthcare practitioners are contacting me now. Um, what IT do I recommend? Um, I rec I highly recommend going into like a compliance, HIPAA compliance, especially if you're older, because compliance really needs more mature people. Um, more, not only more mature, but it's it's more evergreen. And let me just show you what I'm talking about. I show this about every week, because this is like a really good opportunity for healthcare professionals to get into this field. Number one, you want to learn I basic IT. Okay, so you want to do like a CompTIA A plus. You want to do like a Google support IT. You want to know the basics of IT first. Nobody's exempt. You, Not everybody has to have experience in IT, right? But everybody, nobody can pass up um, knowing the IT knowledge. Everyone must have IT knowledge, okay? So that's, that's all I'm saying. Now, let me show you a really good certification that you want to build to. It is called... All right, let me let me switch my screen. If you happen to still be here, some of you guys have, have heard this one before. I talk about this one like once a week or something. But this this certification right here, go to isc2.org and there's a healthcare it's specifically for healthcare security. It's called the HC. Let me actually hold on, let me switch my screen. So here it is right here. It's called the HCISPP. If you happen to be a nurse, if you happen to be in the healthcare industry, you should build to this. If it was me, I would build to this certification right here. I would make this my goal to get to this certification. I would do whatever it took to get to this one right here because this one right here is going to pay you some pretty good money. And what is it doing? Uh, let's see. It is a cybersecurity certification that's specific to healthcare professionals. And um, I'm trying to look for, and they're recommending people uh, for the following positions. If you're trying to get in any one of these, if you're happen to be in one of these positions, then they're highly recommend you do, you, you do the certification. Certifications are typically for people who already have experience in this, but one of the great things is that the common body of knowledge that you have to know to get it is really like a curriculum. It's like a college level curriculum that you need to know that's practical because a lot of times college, the thing that sucks about college is it goes off the beaten path. And it's not sometimes it's not very practical, in my opinion. Uh, but these certifications are very focused. It's like a vocational school where you're learning one trade like nursing, right? That's why nurses are so good because they're learning one damn thing and going super deep on that one thing. But college, you know, <laughs> degrees, the things that suck about them is that they're all over the place. But these certifications, they focus on one thing. Like you have to know that one thing and that got to be good at that one task. And then that's that's kind of what this uh, this certification is trying to have trying to get you to to do but anyway that's what i would do if i was in nursing i would i would do that certification right there i'd build up to that one let me see i've got some other questions here i'm not gonna take too many more i gotta get out of here let me see if i can get a good one uh somebody said um i bought your iso foundations course in 2020 um and it's helped me get a cybersecurity job i oh wow and I just bought your resume marketing book a few days ago, man. That resume marketing, though, like it's it doesn't get a lot of coverage. But let me tell you something: that thing's helped me a, a lot. I, basically, I just put all my skills and everything I know in that certification. That's what that certification. I mean, into that book. And if if you guys are wondering what I'm talking about here, let me show you real quick. Um, you can get this thing on Amazon. You can get it on my site. Uh, let me see. Convo courses. Convo courses .com. And uh, also you can get the free the, the resume here. Let me show you. Let me break this down for you real quick. So 
if you're interested in this, link in description, link in bio, check it out. There's a lot of free stuff there, by the way. It's not all buying stuff. But here's the actual downloadable resume, my resume that's been working for me for years. And if you're interested, there's a whole course and a book that's associated with this stuff. This depends on how you want to uh, get this information. But if you go to ConvoCourses.com, uh, you got some free stuff here. These are both free, free downloadables. You got an audio book of, of everything we're, I'm talking about right here. But this is kind of what they're talking about. This right here, this book, along with a little breakdown video that I put in there as well, if you buy it from my site. This book breaks down uh, what I've been doing all these years for to get these jobs. And um, if you're interested here, let me just let me show you what's in this book. I have a, a video course of this. Let me show you what I'm talking about here. Where is it? Losing track of my own stuff, man. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Free stuff, free stuff, free stuff. Free stuff. Let me see here. There's the book. Here's the book right here. I'm looking for the course because the course breaks down exactly what what is going what's going on i probably passed it like 15 times okay i think it's on the on page one okay here we go so here's what's here's what i break down in the book first of all how to make the resume uh really important to get the keywords in there i talk about that i talk about how to protect your your anonymity because this thing works so well, you're gonna be contacted by hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people. And then I talk about what research you need to do to find uh, the keywords you need to put in your resume. So I'll have a whole section about that. How to put to get re the resume together yourself, but also there's a downloadable, free downloadable that you can get from the site right now. And then how to market it, how to market it on LinkedIn, on Indeed, on uh, CareerJet, on monster and um also talk a little bit about how to work from home which i've been doing for many years um so yeah there that's the video but that's the stuff that's also in the book series if you're interested in that um it's all there but you can also go to youtube if you just you're on a tight budget you can't really afford any of this stuff um the books the books of like 20 bucks that you can get and just read it yourself or you can just go to YouTube and look at all my videos for combo courses. I have tons. It's just all over the place. But I've got volumes and literally hours of content of me talking and breaking down the entire process start to finish. It's just that with the course and with the book, I kind of walk you through it, like line by line, walk you through it. And you can go at your own pace with it. All right, guys, that's it for this one. Um, thank you guys on, on TikTok. I'm so blown away by... TikTok respond like I get so much stuff on TikTok and uh, of course YouTube. Um, thank you guys for following me and now on um, on Facebook as well. Thanks a lot. I appreciate everybody. I'm gonna go watch this movie. I'll let you guys know how it, how it goes. I'm gonna go see that Way of Water movie right now. And um, thanks for your questions and everything. And I will see you guys next week. I'll try to do one in between, but uh, more than likely it'll be next week. All right. See you guys later. Have a good day. Happy holidays.